Eric Spencer isn't your average hedge fund CFO. He's also an ultramarathon runner, meaning he runs an unbelievable 100 miles or more during each race. In this podcast, Eric shares stories of the challenges he's faced while running 14 ultramarathons and breaks down six invaluable life lessons he's learned from each story. They say life is like running a marathon, and you'll find that the challenges he faced while running parallel challenges we all face in our personal and professional lives. Learn what it takes to successfully overcome any challenge or reach any goal. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Barry. Glad to be here. So I am incredibly excited for the conversation we're about to have. Uh, you are someone who has traveled the world with Ivy. You're a hedge fund CFO during the day, but in your spare time, you do something that most people would consider completely unthinkable and unfathomable, running 100 miles nonstop as an ultramarathoner. So I want to focus our conversation today on the story of how you got to be involved in ultramarathon running and the lessons we can all learn for our personal and professional lives based on your experiences. So to get us started, um, how did you get into running in the first place? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, I mean, I, I, ran, um, I ran in high school. I ran cross country and track. Uh, and, and the only reason I, I ever started running on either one of the teams was I, uh, I just wasn't big enough. I was kind of like a six foot tall but scrawny little kid uh, in high school, not being enough to play basketball or football. So that those are kind of like the other sports that were available. And I just, I never, can, I never didn't know if I was a good runner or a bad runner and just went out for the team and ended up, um, ended up having kind of a knack for it, I guess. And then, uh, you know, I was the captain by my junior year. And then I didn't run in college, but it was, um, I could have maybe, maybe walked on to Duke university's team. They have a, they actually have a pretty decent team. Um, so I, I kind of didn't pick it up again until my, my late twenties, but, yeah, I kind of got like an early start when I was about 13 or 14. Was there anything uh, from your journey growing up that eventually led to you not just picking up running again in your late 20s, but actually uh, maneuvering towards running ultra marathons? I think that um, what I started missing in my mid-20s, when like most of my life was like focused on professional growth and, and kind of uh, advancing, was that I, I missed the camaraderie of running. I miss like being not just on the team, but just running with people that had a similar purpose or similar goal to me. I miss the kind of the purity of the sport where it's just, it's running is the ultimate meritocracy. Like you get out of it, what you put into it. And that's true of, you know, whether you're racing or just, just doing a run, just the, the harder you work at it, the, the more you tend to see results. And it's just also just a you know, great sort of stress reliever and kind of gets you away from the rest of the chaos of life. And I really, I think I was, I was missing something for a while and didn't realize that's what I was missing until I came back to running. Got it. Would you say that, you know, so I jog from time to time to clear my mind, but I'm pretty proud when I do, you know, three to five miles. Um, there's something that seems substantially different um, between, you know, people going for a jog, people going for a 10 mile run, people running a marathon, Right, which is the most extreme thing that most people will ever do, and then actually going and attempting something like running a an ultra marathon. So, just curious, you know, if you believe that there's something you know deeper that it, that ultra marathoners have in common that gets them to attempt such an extreme feat. 
It's yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because for most people running a marathon, if you just look like an average person, it's considered like a lifetime accomplishment just to run one. And, and, and I think it is a really, when I first started out, I mean, I, I, I never really even contemplated running a marathon. Uh, and I, I ran my first one in December of 2011 and I had run a bunch of half marathons before that. And I always th- thought that kind of double the distance, just going the extra 13.1 miles was just crazy. And I didn't know like who would even do something like that or like why I'd want to do something like that. And I ran one and just got hooked on it. Uh, and, and I still run marathons from time to time, uh, usually like for competitively and kind of for time, but there was something about, you know, I'd started reading more and more about ultra marathons. I'd never done one at that point. And then I ran my first 50 miler in California in 2012 and really suffered greatly. I mean, I just barely made the cutoff. I mean, it was one of the most painful days of my life out uh, on the course, but I also got hooked because of that, which is weird to suffer, but also get hooked at the same time. Um, and from there, just I kind of rapidly scaled up to the 100-mile race. But in terms of the people, I think you, you do tend to find – well, it, it's a very big cross-section of life. It's people from all different backgrounds, uh, from all over the world who do this. Um, I think that they do – whatever their sort of occupation or, or role in life is, they do tend to be achievers. They do tend to be people who have uh, very good personalities because when you're running a 100-mile race or, or a 50-mile race, or I've, I've done races that are 135 miles, at some point – it's almost like you can't fake your, you can't fake your personality anymore. Like you can't hide uh, your true emotions. Like everything is kind of, you kind of wear your heart on your sleeve. And I think if you have a sort of a, a negative disposition, it's too easy to talk yourself out of finishing the race, to find a reason to quit, to find like something that's going wrong and kind of isolate only thinking about that. And it's just really hard to pick yourself out of that, that, that low. Uh, I think when you run these kind of races, you know, the, the high of finishing is, is a very high, high, but the lows are very, very deep lows. And when you're in them, you know, like, uh, I just ran a race this past weekend. It's when you're at mile, you know, 45 of a hundred mile race and you, it feels like you can't go one more mile. It's really hard to convince yourself that, well, I can't go one more. How am I going to do 55 more? And so if you kind of let that thought sort of grow, it gets worse and worse and worse. And that's often why, you know, the finishing rates, maybe 50% or, or lower in some cases for some of these races, even among very qualified runners. But I think the cross section is that it's very driven people with very good attitudes who are willing to see kind of what the limits of their potential are mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, on any given day. Yeah, it's uh, an incredibly fascinating kind of a, also an incisive look at human nature too. You know, what, like what drives people to take on such, you know, quote unquote, on the one hand suffering, but on the other hand, a tremendous sense of accomplishment and pushing boundaries, exploration, uh, both, you know, physically and mentally. So I'm excited to really uh, break this down and deconstruct all the different elements. Before I do that, though, you did just complete a hundred mile race uh, this past weekend. So for everyone who you know again is it's very difficult to imagine what it even means through a 100 miles like how long it takes what it's like and the ups and downs so if you could give us a quick rundown on what the what the race was like this past weekend um with the ups and ups and the downs and then we'll go from there to break down all the learnings and lessons from it yeah sure so yeah, I just got back from running, uh, got back to Miami uh, last night, actually, from running the, the Javelina 100 in Fountain Hills, Arizona. 
a town just outside of uh, Phoenix. And so the, the race was, um, it's a hundred miles and it was five, uh, roughly 20 mile loops. And then you change direction each lap. And it's kind of, uh, the terrain is sort of like that deserty, deserty kind of washed, kind of hard packed sand and, and rocks, um, in some sections, uh, with about 2000 feet of climbing per lap, uh, and, and the same amount of descent cause it's a, it's a loop. And so the, the, the difficult part of it is it's a little bit cool in Arizona, you know, than it would be in the summertime at least cause it's, it's late October. The race is always held um, around Halloween. So a lot of people are dressed in costumes and they make like a big party out of it. It's one of the biggest ultra marathons in the world for hundred milers. So there were about 600 people running the hundred mile race and another 250 people running the hundred and K the hundred K race, which is 62.2 uh, miles. So you have a lot of people on the course at the same time, but the, the difficult part is, it's full exposure to the sun. So even though it, it was actually one of the hotter years, it was about 90 degrees for the race, um, but that wouldn't be considered hot in the summertime in Arizona. But when you have the sun on you for the race starts at 6 a.m., you know, all, all day that first day, you know, then the sun goes down and then you're, you're kind of running. It's a little bit cooler at night, of course. And then uh, I had kind of a rough day, so it took me into the next morning. So I actually didn't finish until almost 11 a.m., the next day. So I started at 6 a.m. on Saturday and finished just before 11 a.m. on Sunday. So I was in the desert sun for kind of a day and a half there. And the second morning was, because you're already sunburned, you're already dehydrated, and now you're sort of battling the sun as it comes up again. Um, so the desert sunrises are very beautiful, not so beautiful when uh, you have to spend another day and you're, and you're, you know, you got 10 or 15 more miles to go in a hundred mile race to finish it off. And it was a, uh, it was kind of a, you know, a race of, yeah, I think you just, you, you live different lives, even the same, the same race. You kind of, you know, I started out with a lot of optimism. I, I came into the race a little bit injured, kind of like a little nagging things. And I've been traveling a lot for work. So I really didn't, I didn't have the kind of build up that I normally would for a race or that even most people in the, in the, in the race um, would have for something like this. I mean, I think, I think almost any rational friend I would have that does this would say I probably shouldn't have started the race. Um, but I, I did that and, you know, I wanted to see what I could do anyway. And uh, I made it for a while on kind of the fitness that I had. And that's really when sort of the sun and heat of the day took their toll. And, and I ended up in the medical tent. Um, and, and actually, last year, I failed at this race. So I'd gone 1,200-mile races in a row without ever failing. I'd reached the finish line every single time. Um, and this was the first time that um, that didn't happen last year. And so I ended up in the, uh, the same medical tent on the same cot, the exact same mileage as, as the previous year. And, uh, just crestfallen that I was, you know, this was going to happen to me again, that I was going to be out of the race. Um, and you know, they started to, so what happens is if you get an, an IP in, in a race, uh, typically it means you're, you're automatically disqualified. Uh, and so they, they kind of really confirm with you that you're sure you want to do this before you, you sort of accept the IV because then, you know, the race is over at that point. And so I, I, you know, I said, I understand like, you know, like my, my blood pressure was crashing at that point. And, um, it just didn't, it just didn't seem safe to continue. Um, and so I just, I was, I said, I'm fine with this and sort of let me, you know, let my mom know, called her on my, on, on the, I grabbed myself on my, on my gear bag and then texted some friends and said, Hey, I'm out of the race. You know, it just wasn't my day, you know, just really tough conditions and wasn't ready for it. And then actually another runner came in while I was on the cot and they were sort of getting my IV ready and was in much, much worse shape than I was. And really like, you know, to the point of almost needing like a, like an ambulance to, to take them out of there. And so they were, the EMT started working on, on that runner instead. And they just kind of, I was kind of sipping fluids and kind of laying on the cot there. So they just kind of left me by myself. And when they came back over, the sun was kind of setting. 
I was only at mile 42, so I still had, you know, 58 miles to go on the race. And they said, okay, well, you know, ready to do the IV now. Sorry to make you wait. And I said, well, you know, I'm not, am I out of the race? And I was like, well, no, you didn't officially drop. You just said you wanted to, but we didn't actually write it down. And I said, well, you know, can I just do, you know, there, there's, there's a few aid stations on each 20 mile lap. And I said, well, can I walk to the next aid station? It's about four miles away up part of the mountain. And there's another IV like in full med tent there. And I said, look, I'll make this deal with you. Like I know I'm in bad shape. I know that like, you don't think I should stay in the race and you already recommended that I drop out. But if you let me walk the four miles, if I, if, if I get out of here and hundred yards later, it's bad. I'll come right back. If it's, you know, four miles later and I get to the aid station and I'm in worse shape than I am right now, I'll drop out right there and get the IV right there. But I just want to see if I can do it. I just want to see if I can keep going. I came this far. Like I, I don't, I don't think I can finish the race, but I want to see if I could try And so they just, they sort of agreed that I think they decided I was, I was too, uh, too stubborn to, to say no to. So they just let me do it. And I actually got to the aid station. They had radioed ahead and I popped my head and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I don't feel great, but I'm, I'm good enough to continue. I'm going to keep going. And so I just kind of just kept, you know, taking off the miles, you know, not very quickly, but I was moving at least and um, started to catch people, you know, that had been hours and hours ahead of me on the course that had started and, and, and were having much better races than me. And they were kind of suffering later on the same way that I was earlier. And then um, I think it's, what you learn in these races is that there's so it's such a long time to be doing something that, you know, you believe different things at different points. Like I think when I was at mile 42 and I was in the cot and I'd already mentally sort of given up on the day, I'd already called people, texted people and said, I'm out of the race. Um, It was kind of a relief. And I kind of was a little bit sad that it was over. And I just, cause I just didn't believe it was possible. I didn't think I could go another 58 miles and just didn't think I had it in me. And I think the more and more that I got, further into the race, and this is so true of life as well, you start to have conviction that you're going to actually get there. And it's now it's not a question of like whether you're going to or not. It, and you just know it's going to be hard, but you, you're going to find a way to do it. And I think once I got to mile 80 and I started the last lap, I had no doubt in my mind I was going to finish. I knew it was going to be a very painful lap. It was going to be hot in the sun when it came up again. Um, and I just, I just kind of found a way to, to power through. And it was, um, I consider it one, one of, it's, I think it's the second hardest finish I've ever had to earn in my life in any race I've ever done. And I would consider it a top three life accomplishment. I just, I just, I think people who saw me saw how bad I suffered out there, but they'll never know how bad it really was. You know, only I know that, but it was, um, it's something, you know, probably lasts forever. Right. So it's, uh, it's, uh, feels good to take that home with me. Right. Right. Um, it's an incredible story and I want to just, just for everyone listening to get full context. So well, from the moment you started until the moment you finished, like exactly like what was the finish finishing time? How many hours was that? So it took me uh, 28 hours and 56 minutes and four seconds to go the whole hundred miles. Got it. So, and that, so just for context, so that's like a, someone having a full night's sleep, full day of work plus like six hours plus another four hours i mean 28 hours is an incredibly long time and during this time you were actually battling extreme lows and experiencing extreme highs Um, just in terms of now like really diving into the lessons of everything and i I think i want to almost like structure it through the different phases of the race uh, all the lessons that we can apply to to our everyday lives from the experience that you had. So first of all, you mentioned before the race even started, right? All of life 
and all the other struggles in your life, travel, work, all that kind of stuff, that was already weighing you down. So it wasn't like, I think a lot of people visualize like Olympic athletes right before they're about to perform that they must be so clear in their heads and everything like that. But the reality is for most of us, no matter how high we have to perform in a given day, there's a lot of like tiredness or you know, some like stress that follows us uh, to the task we're about to perform. So just curious from your perspective, you know, how do you, what's the ideal way to prepare yourself for um, like a high performance requiring task? And what do you do mentally and physically to get ready um, to kind of like separate like the day-to-day struggles with the task at hand, which is going to be incredibly intense? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good, it's a good point. I think that the best that you can do, and this is true of any, anything in life, but certainly with, with racing is, you know, try to wrap up things in the home front as best you can before you leave. You know, even if it's as simple as like keeping your, your place cleaned, and, and, you know, just like, you, know, you like, you don't have to you know, come back, like come home, like tired and destroyed after a race. And you just know that you, that you don't have like things to do at home when you get, when you get back. But, but bigger than that, it's more of, um, yeah, I, I do try to wrap up as many, as many like work outstanding items as I can before a race. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help you to be thinking about them during the race. I don't, I don't know if it hinders you either. I think it's, you know, the, the thing I like about these races, um, and, and you have so much time, like I said, almost 29 hours to this race is you, you have a lot of time to think about whatever you want. Even if you're listening to music or talking to people, it's still a lot of time kind of in your own head. And I think it's, um, you wanted to be focused on kind of the task at hand, like not sort of worried about other things. There's, there's not things to worry about in terms of just surviving the day. And it kind of, if you have other things you're bringing to the race, it's going to affect your performance in probably in a negative way. And so I think that um, I've never tried to, I think that I am busier than a lot of people that I know that, that do this in terms of like, I don't have family obligations and some of them do, but I think that my, my work obligations are probably higher than, than most people who run, ultra marathons, but I've never used that as an excuse because I just see it as that's just something I've, that's part of my life. And they have other things that I probably don't know about. That's part of, part of their lives. So it really comes down to, that's why I said that, you know, running is the ultimate meritocracy because on race day, the race doesn't care. The course doesn't care. It just, it just cares like who prepared and who didn't, who runs a, a strategic race and who does not. And who has the mental fortitude to push through something. And that's really true of, of everything in life, you know, in business as well. And I think that you see a lot of, you know, you mentioned the phases of the race. I think that that's very true um, in terms of like the phases of like a business or something where a lot of things you see in a race, like any race could be a a 5k, it could be a marathon or an ultra marathon. That first, there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement when you're starting the race and everyone's kind of like uh, very high, like on adrenaline, they're ready to go. And there's a lot of mistakes people make early in a business, just like they make early in a race. You know, like the phrase, you know, like the, the famous quote is like, you know, you can't win a marathon in the first mile, but you can lose it in the first mile, which is like, it sounds like an odd comment to you think about it. It's because if you start too fast and you're, and you're like not really sort of being strategic at all, all of a sudden, like you're, you've run out of gas by like mile 10 and you still have 16 more miles to go in a marathon. And it's the same thing in ultra marathon. There were people that running a very fast first lap with me and most, most of them didn't finish the race. Um, not because they're not good runners, just because they didn't sort of plan accordingly for how long it would be to do sort of the whole, the whole thing and sort of budgeting their effort. And then I think that the, as the race goes on, just like as maybe like a a business goes on, 
there are going to be things that come up that you didn't expect. I mean, every race I've run, this is my 14th finish of a hundred mile race or longer. And I've had things go wrong in all 14 of them. And it's not always the same thing. Sometimes there's, there's similar things. And I think that's going to happen in business and, and your adaptability and sort of your flexibility to, um, to, to, to sort of see that change, to pivot as necessary, go with plan B, plan C, plan Z, whatever you got to do to get, to get the job done. I think that's really where you sort of refine that, that skill. And then I think um, when you, you just like seeing sort of like a business mature, I think when you reach the finish line, you know, people who have done it, just like people have seen, you know, their company go from an idea to, to something really successful. I think only they really know what that means to them. I, I think, you know, the, the public can kind of get a sense of it or just can kind of imagine what that might be like. But I think that there really is no, there, there's no way you can sort of describe it to somebody. I think you just have to experience it to, to really get why somebody, you know, why it would define everything in their life. Like why they would, why they would sacrifice this much, maybe in the business sense, like years of doing something or in a lot of hard work and in running to be able to put your, yourself to this kind of just, you know, torture really for, for a number of hours uh, over a day or even a couple of days. Like, why would you do it? Like, what are you getting out of it at the end? And I think that, um, it's, it's one of those really, it's, I think it's the hardest thing for me to explain to somebody is, is sort of like, why do it? Uh, but it's, you know, I, I've never met somebody who just does 100 mile race and never does another one. So there's something about the finish where there's a commonality across all finishers, even though we all come from different backgrounds and we all have different reasons for running that, that, that race in particular, it keeps us coming back. And so there, there's something there. There's some kind of uh, attractiveness there. Absolutely. Uh, so what, what's interesting in terms of like those, like the different phases, right? Like, so the, the start is critical, right? Because if you burn yourself out too fast, um, you know, if you're not in the right mindset and so forth, um, you know, that can be really difficult. I think the middle, uh, especially in, like you, you were mentioning in this, in the race that you just ran uh, this past weekend, the middle seems like also like a killer point, right? Because if you're already incredibly, you know, worn, worn down, right? And feeling like you're not sure you can continue. And just knowing that, you know, you're not even like halfway there. And like, obviously the remaining half, you're also carrying all the fatigue from the first half of the race. So let's talk a little bit about that. In your case, just for this anecdotally, just in this race, it was actually kind of fortuitous that another runner in a worse shape came right as you were about to get your IV, which gave you that little bit of time to recover, uh, which then got you, gave you, the, I guess, the audacity to actually get up and walk to the next stop to see what would happen. So just curious there, like, what is the bigger lesson there? Do you think that, you know, your initial... Um, thought on, oh, maybe given my vitals, maybe it's better to stop. But like just taking those extra moments before calling it a day, um, you know, is there is there a bigger lesson there uh, for like before you quit, just like take your time? Or like what would you say was the key lesson there? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, good, it's a good question. I, you know, I think that certainly, I think anyone medically that would have looked at my stats or, or, or anyone who examined me would say that it was, there's, there's no question that I did the less prudent thing by staying in, in the race. Like even, even though I got like a little bit of an extra time, 
So I think it was, it wouldn't have been a hard choice to make. And it, and it wasn't last year at the same race when I also had to drop out, unfortunately. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I don't know if the delay changed that. I, I have seen in other races where, um, not, not to me personally, but for other runners where they, they choose to drop out and, and it may not even be like a sort of a medical situation. It's just kind of those, those middle miles where you've already gone a long way, but you've already got, you still have so far to go after that. It's just hard to fathom staying out there for 10 more hours or 15 more hours and, and just keeping going somehow. And they just sit down in the chair at an aid station or, or with maybe with a support crew somewhere. And, um, they just say, Hey, I'm out of the race. And they do, and then, you know, it becomes official. They take off their, their bid number and they're out of the race. And oftentimes I've seen those people 15 minutes later and they're totally fine. And all they needed was a break. And, you, and the good thing about ultra marathon is you usually have a pretty big buffer in terms of how much time you can have as a, as a break. Like you're not, you're not, you know, every second isn't precious. Like you, you can take little breaks here and there. And I, and I think the worst feeling I've ever seen people experience is they drop out of a race, they take that break. And then 15 minutes later, they're, they're, I mean, they're not fine, but they're fine enough to continue in the race, but that's no longer an option anymore. And what they realize is like, it, that's, that's what happens when you sort of isolate on those negative thoughts and just let that self-doubt creep in that this is, it's no longer possible to finish this race. And then it's kind of like, once you, once you're out of the race, you can look at it more objectively and say, Oh, well, I'm actually, I guess I wasn't totally dead. I thought I was, but I guess I'm not. And unfortunately you've already made a choice at that point. So I think that what, what this, I guess what I did in this race and what I've done in a lot of races and so have my friends and, and other runners is you're just, your mind is overcoming what your body is telling it. And, and this is true of like, you know, advanced military training, you know, like something like Navy SEALs would do where so much of it is just mental. I mean, it's physical, of course, as well. You have to be in great shape to do that, but it's, um, they're overpowering their body's urge to shut them down. Um, with their mind. And that's a, that's a really powerful thing because it applies to all things in life and it's incredibly hard to train. Um, and I think the longer you can get by with just being just like a Navy SEAL can, you can get by and, and there are Navy SEALs that run the races that I do, um, that you can get by with just fitness for a very long time in, in a race and maybe even two thirds of a race or three quarters. If you don't have the mental part, you won't finish. It's just not, there's no way to separate the two that you can't have, only part of the equation and somehow complete it. So I think this, this just shows that I was, if, if you were looking at sort of a, a pie chart of the success of finishing this race, physically, I was really not there. It was a very small contributor relative to other races I've done. This was all mental this time or mostly mental. And so I think it, the reason I consider it such a, a big life accomplishment is because that's what I take back with me. If I had just been in great shape, I would have had a very different experience. I would have run the race faster probably. And I would have finished sooner and I would have suffered less, but I would probably have learned less about myself in that context. So it's, um, that's why I think it's so exciting about, about seeing this. Cause I didn't know that going there. I, I had no idea what the lessons would be that I would learn or, or what I, what, what kind of experience I'd have, you know, before the race started. Right. Uh, such a powerful lesson. The, you know, for, for every area of life, like when all hope seems lost, when you feel like you just can't go on and whatever it is, um, maybe instead of just throwing in the towel, like you just remind yourself that like you absolutely have to take sometimes the breaks to get more objective again, to see the bigger picture, because in the heat of the moment, it's easy to be um, overwhelmed by, let's say, what your body is telling you or the negative thoughts, right? So, um, 
it's a great, I think, uh, example for everyone, whether it's business, whether it's in the creative arts, you know, whenever sometimes things seem lost, sometimes what we need is just like a break to take care. Yeah, I think, I think the, the thing we have at the races is a lot of these, um, you know, at this race, I, I didn't have a support crew with me, but at a lot of races I have, and, and a lot of the runners at this particular race did have a, a support crew with them. And they could have a runner run with them the last the last 40 miles of the race if they wanted to. And, and a lot of them took that advantage and had a runner with them. And I think what, what that's for is it's not it's not because they might get lost in the course. Sometimes that's the reason. But in this case, it wasn't. It's really because that that support crew or that, that runner that's running with you, they are your objective voice now because they are the ones they're observing you as a third party. Of course, they don't they don't know exactly what you're feeling, but they can they can see you and they can. They've kind of watched you run this race all day and they're, they're kind of, they're not letting you let those negative thoughts run wild. They're, they're sort of reining them in. They're getting you back to being kind of rational and objective about where you are. And they're also problem solving. Like if they see that like you're having blisters or like you're dehydrated um, or you need more calories or, you know, like your, uh, your headlamp is fading and you need batteries, just like little things like that. They're always there to kind of find those things. That's their job. That's, that's why they're the support crew. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the runners who who have support crews. I mean, anytime I bring a support crew, I bring the very best. I mean, I bring my, my my friends who I know who are very good at this have done a lot of races because I want somebody who has experienced this themselves too, not just like seeing me do it um, to help me out and and just try. I try to bring the most positive people that I can. And I think that's it's so important because a lot of my success in, in, in running ultra marathons is because I have friends as mentors and, you know, and I've kind of learned from them the last six years of running hundred mile races. And that's um, even in this race, even without the support crew, there were still a lot of other runners in the race who I'm friends with. And they saw me and I kind of, as I was um, you know, heading towards the aid station, when I initially was going to drop out and I told them I was going to drop out and they, they stopped their own race. They run in the other direction, stopped in their tracks and like, grabbed me by the shoulder and said like, no, like you just like, just go take a break. Like, you know, use a timeout. Like it doesn't, you're going to get back in the race. Like don't give up on this. And like there's, and it's, it's so, uh, this has happened to me a few times in races when runners do this, you know, like other, other runners that I'm friends with. And it's, um, and I think it's, it's great when it happens in life when people do this for you too, but it's, um, it, it almost makes you kind of tear up because you realize like they're suffering too. Like, it's not like they're, they're having, you know, this easy race and they realize I'm suffering. They're just trying to help me out. Like, it's like a, like I'm a, a charity case they can, they can work on right now. They're also going through their own battles, but they, they see a chance to now, they see this sort of a, a mutual finish. It's kind of like climbing a mountain together. It's like, uh, they can climb the mountain and get the summit, but they want me to also. And so they're trying to help me, even though they're going through their own thing. And that's, and that, that, that's where it kind of, it reveals the kind of people that run these races. You see, they kind of, the kind of character they have and the kind of uh, true friendship they have with you because it's um, it would be easy to have just kind of run by me and said, good job or, you know, hang in there or something. Um, but they really went out of their way to do that. So it's, it's, uh, it's good in life to have people around you in whatever you're doing that can be not just objective with you, but they kind of find a way to, to pick you up when you're down and kind of connect with you and, and then, and then be practical too. try to like help you get back on the right, you know, you know, sort of get the ship sailing in the right direction. Got it. Uh, so when we, when I just kind of reflect on our conversation so far, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if I had to distill it, 
it's all about, you know, you have to come prepared and in the right mindset, you have to start right. Um, the whole thing about, you know, you can't win the race in the first mile, but you can certainly lose it in the first mile. Take breaks when you need to. Uh, and all of these up to there was like very much, you know, kind of around you. But this last point about the need for an objective voice, the importance of support crew, I think that is uh, such a profound point when it comes to also a lot of other things in life because there are some serious limits to our abilities, each of us, to be truly objective about our situation in a given moment. So pretty much anyone who's you know not us has the advantage that they can look at our situation a little bit more objectively. So I think that's a really incredibly important lesson uh, to take to all areas of life as well. Um, other than these lessons we've covered, what else would you say is critical to getting to the finish line, to completing the race? So other than these four lessons that we've covered so far, is there anything else that you would say is absolutely critical to making sure that you get past the finish line? I think, um, you know, one other, it's funny that I learned this lesson early in running hundred milers. This is a bit different because it wasn't so much getting to the finish line. It's, is maybe we call it sort of how you get to the finish line. So I, in, I think this was maybe like my fourth hundred mile race that I'd run this was in 2013 in Florida. And I was, I started the race and it was, it was kind of a smaller field, like maybe like 30 to 40 runners. So kind of a smaller, a smaller uh, uh, field than even normally like in, in the races that I do. And I had some friends in the race that were, you know, I was just kind of getting started at this point. Um, they were much better than me. I kind of just expected, to finish maybe like fifth or sixth, and I would just kind of follow them around for a little while. They, they were going to beat me on this course, and and it was um, it was four twenty five mile laps, um, kind of in this state park in Florida, um, so it kind of like hot and sunny out the whole day. And so I kind of did I did the first lap, and, and my friends were ahead of me, and didn't didn't sort of see them too much. And I and I came in, and I realized like you know two of them were like sitting in chairs, kind of hanging out at the, the start finish, and they were already out of the race, and. Um, so it just kind of surprised me because I, I hadn't run a lot of hundreds at that point. So I didn't know if that was common or uncommon or, you know, kind of what was going on. And they said, Hey, you know, don't worry about us. You know, just keep going on the course. And so I kind of kept going and I got to like mile like 28 or 29 and I came to an aid station and someone said, Oh, like, you know, congratulations. And I said, you know, for what? And said, well, you're winning the race. I'm like, well, like, what do you mean? Like you're, you're in first place. You're the first runner here. And so I, I was like in shock. I was like, I'd never been winning in an ultra before. So I didn't know, uh, didn't really know what to do. So I kind of just kept going the pace I was running. And, um, my friends who had dropped out kind of hung around for, for a bit of the rest of the day and kind of helped me out and said like, Hey, like there's a guy in second behind you, like keep moving. And so we got to like, you know, kept going to mile 50, mile 75. Now I'm on the last lap and it's dark. And I start going through the final aid stations. I'm doing one more circuit of the course. And I'm, I'm in my head, I'm already writing like my Facebook victory speech. Like I'm so excited that I'm going to like win my first like ultra marathon. And I, you know, like I'm, I'm in shock that it's happening. And, um, you know, someone's like, yeah, you're two hours ahead of the person in second place. I'm like, I can walk it in from here. It's going to be easy. And so I get to the last aid station at mile 95 and I sit down in a chair and I'm just kind of hanging out, just like eating food, um, and like, you know, drinking like some soda and just kind of relaxing. And someone said, uh, you know, you might want to get out of here. And I said, well, why? Like, oh, you know, there's a guy 10 minutes behind you. Right. And, uh, I, it like jolted me out of the chair. Like I could not believe I just kind of sort of lollygagging around this this last lap sort of doing a victory lap before the race was over. So I kind of took off out of there and I got to about mile 98 and it was kind of the last stretch. And I could see the finish line 
but I could also see pretty far behind me. And all of a sudden I see like a white shirt coming through like the forest coming after me. And I know it's the guy and uh, he's running like what seems like an impossibly fast pace. And I know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And he ended up passing me at mile 99 of the race. And uh, I tried to chase him down and we had this kind of this all out finish at the end and he ended up beating me. And what I learned is complacency is a killer in these races. Um, it's, I was so sure that I was going to win just like in life. You, you sort of feel like you're going to coast to success in something that I didn't do all the, I just didn't keep moving. I didn't do the little things uh, and just stay focused until the job was done. And I ended up getting second place instead of first place. And I never forgot that lesson because I actually ran against that guy the very next week. And the same thing almost happened again. He was kind of in the same place. Um, and I ended up beating him by an hour and I just didn't let him back in the race. As, as soon as I saw that he was, he was sort of close to me again, just like he was the previous, you know, a, a couple weeks before, um, I learned the lesson right away. Like, no, like you, you have to, you have to see this thing all the way through. This is not like a, it's not a 98 mile race. It's a hundred mile race. And so it's, um, yeah, it, it was never a sort of a, a, you know, being in doubt of a finish, but I learned that it's, um, it's, it's tough because sometimes we let off on the, on the gas pedal that in what we're doing. And it's easy to do that with in life and in relationships and business, whatever it is. And I think that it's, um, you know, running an ultra marathon, sometimes you do kind of like go in these, uh, kind of this zone where you, you kind of just time doesn't seem like it's relevant. You just kind of, you're just kind of moving in. It's like moving meditation, but I think it's also really good to, uh, to stay focused to, to also that you have a job to do here. Like there's something at hand to, to get done and you have to be relentless in doing it. Um, until, until the race is done. You know, like you can relax when you get to mile hundred and then hand you, you know, sort of the, the finishing buckle that is sort of the coveted, I guess, piece of, uh, piece of hardware that everybody wants for one of these races. Um, but, but don't, don't sort of, uh, let up before you get there. All right. It's a powerful lesson. And I think the million dollar question here, uh, which I think is so important to anyone, you know, who is, working on a project an endeavor or running a race that's prolonged it's this how you how can we reconcile the need to stay focused be relentless with also the need to pace ourselves and take the breaks that are needed to make sure that we can come to a successful conclusion um because you know like even the cliche like life is a marathon right so it's not about just like winning this year or this decade but actually you want to kind of like live an overall good life you want to run a healthy business that doesn't just grow really fast for a few years but actually keeps growing steadily for a long time so in your mind if you had to reconcile those two different competing priorities one is like never let go don't ever get complacent on the other hand it's like well if you kind of like don't like make it more sustainable that you can also burn out or tire yourself out. How would you say is like the best way to reconcile those two things? Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough to, it's tough to balance the two. It's, um, it's, a, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, in terms of, you know, I think that the, um, the running analogy that I've heard a few, a few sort of like running experts and, and you know, top runners say is it's in running these races, it's not how fast your fast pace is. It's, it's how fast your slow pace is. Meaning like the reason I finished this race this past weekend under the cutoff, um, wasn't just cause it, you know, I, oh, I stayed in the race. That was part of it and sort of powered through, um, 
you know, like nausea and vomiting for hours and hours and hours and dehydration, that sort of thing. But it's really because my minimum pace, once I got back on the course and was moving, I kept above a certain threshold. So, so I wasn't blazing, like I wasn't like flying around, passing everyone on the course. Like it was uh, like, a, like an easy five kilometer run. I mean, I was really just sort of power hiking uh, up, up sort of the mountainous terrain and then just running as much as I could, but not very fast. But the key was just sort of to keep moving, like keep that minimum speed going. And I think that's true of, of really anything. It's just, it, you know, you have to find that balance of, because if you're trying to run that blazing speed, um, it, it'll, it, it'll work in anything, you know, business relationship, you know, life uh, and running, you can do it for a while. There's a certain um, amount of it you can, you know, like in your tank of energy that you can, you can do that. Um, it's true of like capital and business too. It's like, you know, like, you know, burning through money and that sort of thing. Um, you can do it for a while, but at some point like budgeting makes a lot more sense. And so it's, it's really tricky. And, and, and that's where I think, um, it's why I think entrepreneurs learn the hard way in, in, in business. And I think it's why runners learn firsthand the hard way, because there's really no way to teach that to somebody. You really have to see like, where is that? What, what is that optimal amount that you can do? Like where you're sort of pressing forward, but not too much where you're sort of putting yourself in jeopardy or your, your company in jeopardy or, or whatever it is. And that's, um, that's one of those things where there's not, there isn't a book for that. Like there, and if there is, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be specific enough for the person, you know, it'd be too general. So I think it's, um, it's where the, you know, I think when you see these races, um, you know, this race that I said this past weekend, there's a lot of first time hundred milers in this field. And that's, that's partly what they attribute the failure rate to being, it's kind of on the high end for most races at this race. Um, I think the conditions are very hard, but I think, yeah, certainly being a first time hundred miler, these are all people who have run races. They've run marathons. Probably a lot of them have run 50 mile races as well, but they've never seen what it's like to be a mile seven and be suffering before. And, and maybe they've made a lot of those kind of starting too fast or just doing little things long along the way, those first, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours, whatever it is. And they just don't know how to fix the problem now. And, and maybe they didn't finish the race. And I bet next race they'll come back and they won't make the same mistakes again because they, now they, they learned the hard way what not to do. And that's, that's a lot of what, what life is. And it's a lot of what running is. Powerful, powerful stuff. Um, definitely. I think we covered both, you know, the, the both extremes. So be relentless, but also be sure to break, take the breaks, but ultimately, I guess, and then that comes uh, down to, you know, no matter how extreme your activity, whether it's running a hundred mile race, whether it's building a business, again, working on a, some creative projects in the end, it does come down to, you know, making sure that you have the right balance such that, you know, you're pushing super hard. Uh, at the same time though, you're doing it in a way where you don't go overboard. So it doesn't become completely destructive. Um, so that was a very, very powerful lesson. Um, before we wrap up, wanted to ask you, is there any, um, piece of life advice you would give to the Ivy audience, uh, to everybody listening to this now, um, as a parting message. A piece of life advice. That's, that's heavy. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's, like it's like the meaning, it's, it's like the meaning of life question. Um, I think, uh, I think you have to find, and, and it's not always one thing. I think you have to find the things that you're really passionate about. And I, and I know this, people use this in reference to like finding the job you're passionate about and sort of doing that. And I think that that's, 
it's not a bad idea. It's not always super practical. I just think that you should find, you know, a thing or things you're passionate about in life and then really, you know, not just pursue it sort of aggressively and, 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 and sort of take pleasure in it and, and, and sort of spend your time doing it, but maybe even like try to try to get better at it or, or learn more about it or, or whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm obviously very passionate about running. I'm passionate about endurance sports, you know, ultra endurance sports, really anyone taking on some kind of adventure. Um, that's why I love a lot of the, a lot of the Ivy trips I see is kind of mini adventures. And, and that's, and that's the way I sort of treat them. It's, it's, it's a lot less painful than running hundred mile race, but they're a lot of, and a lot more fun to do the Ivy trips. Uh, but I, but I just, I always have sort of, you know, at least for the last like 10 years of my life have spent time trying to find, you know, what's my next adventure. What's the next thing that, that sort of excites me that I'm just going to spend, you know, hours on Google, like looking up, you know, you know, where this is or what I can do and, uh, how, you know, just a way to sort of expand my experience, uh, with this. And, um, that's the kind of stuff that gets me excited because then everything you're doing in the rest of your life is kind of like to set up for that, that trip or that adventure or that race or whatever, whatever the project is that you're passionate about. And I think when you, when you have something like that, um, in your life, it, it really makes, uh, it makes your life a lot more complete in, in, in the rest of it. And because you, you, you bring such enthusiasm to the rest of your life, even the parts you're not as passionate about, um, when you have sort of that, that anchor that you're always, um, that you're always sort of, uh, getting to, you know, sort of getting to experience and getting to, uh, enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would, um, my, my thoughts on that, uh, based on what you said is, you know, it's that whole thing about, you know, it, it, it's all about like, you know, what completes you. Right. And, uh, sometimes nothing beats an objective, a mission and something that you find meaningful and that is extremely challenging, but also worth it. Like it actually becomes the point. Like, so you're sacrificing a lot of your life to get there, but then actually it gives so much meaning to your life. So I can definitely relate, uh, not from the running angle, but definitely from, let's say from the building a community angle, um, like a multi-year project. So I've definitely learned a tremendous amount from this conversation. Really excited to share it with everybody and uh, hope to uh, come watch you finish one of these races one day soon. So thank you so much, Eric, for making the time. This was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, of course, it was so much fun. All right, until next time, take care. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.